Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you and praise you for this day. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together and to worship you. Father, we pray now that everything done and said today will be to the upbuilding of your kingdom, and we give you praise and honor and glory for it in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I don't think I told this joke in church, but I might have, and if I did, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure I haven't. Anyway, so a lady was home with her small son, and she was trying to get everybody straight and ready, and she had put curlers up in her hair, and she was looking for her cap to put over the curlers, and she looked and looked and looked, and she couldn't find any. So she was bewildered of what to do, and so she decided that she just got, it was just her and the little boy, she got her a pair of underwear, and she put them all over her curlers. And the little boy looked at her kind of strange, and she said, Buddy, it's okay. It's just me and you. Nobody else will know. No big deal. Almost instantly, there was a knock at the door, and the little boy ran to the door. And there was a, a salesman at the door, asked to speak to the lady of the house. And the little boy stepped back from the door and said, Mama, take your panties off. This guy wants to talk to you. <laughs> <clears throat> Must have not told it. Or either y'all were nice enough to last twice. I appreciate it. All right, so um, what we're going to talk about today is God's plan for your life, right? And we're going to talk about some folks that God had lined up in the Bible. And, and I don't think, in fact, I'm pretty certain this is going to be a one Sunday deal. I think we're going to have at least to come back to it a little bit. <clears throat> but the Bible says in a couple of places, and we're going to go through them, that, that God has specifically laid out your steps in front of you. And what happens is, man, trying to be right. I don't want to be offensive. What happens is, is that uh, people, people, the world, the, 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 the people say, well, you know, God killed mama and took her own home where the family would be closer, right? Or that God put me in that terrible wreck to where I would, you know, depend on him more. Or, um, you know, all this bad stuff is because we haven't been going to church like we were supposed to. And, it, and it's really unfortunate that, that well, well, and we're going to read the scripture in a minute, but in John 10 and 10, Jesus says that the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy, and I have come that you have life and have life more abundantly. So when things happen, and things happen bad, everybody wants to blame it on God, and when, and when things happen good, then it's, man, I was lucky, right? He gets the short end of the stick every time, no matter what, whether he was involved or not. And I actually told this this week, and I think I've told this from the pulpit, but it bears repeating. <clears throat> there was a, a barber who was an atheist, and he was cutting this guy's hair who was a devout Christian, and the guy was trying not to be offensive, and the atheist barber just kept going on and on on how it could not be a God with all the terrible things going on in the world and all the horrible stuff that happens and how could there be a good God and all of this stuff happening. And so the guy was just fed up and he finished with his haircut and he, he, when he walked out, he was like, I got to figure out a way to show him he's wrong. So he walked a half a block down the street and there's this old bum and he's dirty and his hair's matted up and he's nasty and he stink. And the barber kept saying, I can't believe there's a God if people are in such bad shape. So the guy grabbed a homeless guy and said, come here, I want to do something for you. So he walked him back down the street and walked him into the barbershop. And he said, you know what? You've convinced me. I don't believe in barbers. 
And the guy said, well, what do you mean? How do you not believe in barbers? He said, well, if there were barbers, nobody would walk around with hair as nasty as this and stuck together as this and as stink as this and as horrible as this. Surely there can't be a barber who would allow this. You know what the barber's response was? Well, all he has to do is ask. Mm, really? All he has to do is ask. So when we get into the position in the world that God's causing all of this crazy stuff, right? Even on your insurance policy, if it's a terrible storm or death and destruction, you know what it's called? An act of God, right? That's what it's called. And it's sort of kind of right because the Bible says that Satan's the God of this world, right? He controls this world, right? We are aliens. We don't belong to this world. So we're going to talk about God's plan. And I'm going to tell you, if you read the Bible, right, and if you go through some basic stories that we teach in Little People's Church, and some of those stories we're going to cover throughout this teaching, there are things that happen to God's people that are terrible. There are terrible situations. There are horrible things that happen. And at the end, it works out for God's good, right? So we're going to start... Oh, man. We're going to start at the back. How about that? Uh, Genesis, in the front, I'm sorry. Genesis 50, verse 20. All right, so before you put it, don't put it up there, don't put it up there. Before you get to Genesis 50, 20. So does anybody know the story of Joseph? Everybody know the story of Joseph? You know, Joseph was a little kid. And his daddy liked him a whole bunch. And he gave him a really pretty coat. And he had dreams that said all his other brothers would bow down before him. And he was dumb enough to tell them why, I don't know. And it made his brothers really, really mad, right? What happened? They threw him in a pit and they were going to kill him. And then the brothers said, you know what? We shouldn't kill him. That's dumb. We'll sell him. Not only do we get rid of him forever, but we'll get a little change out of the deal. Right? He got to do something for us. I don't really want to start in um, Genesis 50, actually 15. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, so, so, so we got to where dad's dead. What if Joseph, Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they have committed, committed in treating you so badly. Please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. And his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him and said, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? For what you intended to harm me, but God intended it for my good. To accomplish what is now being done. So what you intended to tear me down, what you intended to destroy me, God changed it for the greater good. Now, did God throw Joseph in the ditch? Did he beat him and sell him in this? Did he make Potiphar's wife lie on him? Did he put him in prison? Everything that happened to Joseph, because Joseph was faithful to God, they put him in prison and then he came back and then they did this and he came back and he ended up being the second in command in all of Egypt why 
Because no matter what, God's plan for his life was still first. Now, did it take some turns you didn't think it was going to take? Sure. It's pretty rough, right? I mean, for people to take advantage of you, to beat you, to throw you in a hole, to sell you into slavery, to lie about your death, that's probably pretty tough. For your own flesh and blood brothers to do it, probably a little more rough, right? I mean, you want to talk about having just a little bit of spirit of rejection in this situation. And in the whole time, Joseph stayed faithful to God and knew that God's plan was true, right? Um, so now we'll go to the beginning. Uh, Jeremiah. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have. So this is what God says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Does that sound like kill to steal and to destroy? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, for you to prosper. Now, Jesus said, the thief comes to kill to steal and to destroy. But I have come that you have life and have it more abundantly. Here in Jeremiah, God says that I have plans for you to prosper and not to harm you. Well, those sure seem like about the same answer. Well, one, one was a few years before the other. What happens is when something bad happens, right? put yourself in Joseph's perspective. He offends his brothers. They beat him up. They throw him in a hole. They take his coat. Boy, God don't love me. God is sure out to get me. Every time I do, God just knocks me back down, gets out of the ditch, gets sold into slavery, starts to become fairly influential in Egypt. The woman lies on him, thrown in jail. Boy, God don't love me. He's sure not very faithful. Every time I get something going, God just knocks me back down. How different of story would it be if Joseph would have doubted God's plan for his life versus Joseph being faithful and honoring God no matter what? I mean, really, if you, if you want to question Joseph's character, how much more would it have been to gain if he would actually seduce the man's wife? And I mean, he could have been in a pretty good situation. But no matter what happened, no matter what came against him, he was understood that God's plan was in effect in his life. Now, here's where this is going to take a turn for just a minute. We, a lot of times, say that I know God has a plan for my life. And then we go home and sit on the couch and watch TV until it's time to go to sleep. And then we, we go home the next day and we sit on the couch and watch TV. And, and we go, well, God's got a big plan for my life, but I refuse to leave my house. See, when God had a plan for Abraham, he didn't let him stay at the house. In fact, he told Abraham to leave everybody you know, to leave this land, for I got a plan for you to go way over there to do something else. We can't expect God's plan for our life to develop and mature sitting on the couch. It would be like pretending that you was going to run a marathon and not putting on your shoes, not going outside. 
Now, I don't know how many times you could walk around your house to get to a marathon. I would bet it's a bunch. But to run a marathon, you actually had to, like, get up and be involved. To be in God's plan for your life, you actually have to show up. Abraham is one of those awesome times, right? When, <clears throat> when Abraham was told to sacrifice his one and only son, he knew that God had promised him a son, and he knew that God had a plan for him and for his son. Did he sit and weep and mourn? No. He got up. He got dressed. He got the wood. He got the stuff. He put it all on the donkeys or the camels or the whatever, and they struck out on a journey to do what God told him to do, knowing that God had a plan for him. Having faith in God, knowing that whatever happened, God was noble and righteous and honorable and honest. And if God promised that he was going to have a son and this was the son of promise, no matter what took place, that that son was really going to be the son of promise. So what did he do? He got up, he got dressed, he got his stuff, and he went on his journey. All the way to the end, ready, was ready to... It's always the funny part of this story. You notice he did not tell his wife that he was going to kill his kid. Because it would probably have been really hard with a couple of whelps on the back of your head to still go through with God's plan, right? But in this whole... And and I've, I've said it before, and just to throw it in there, I think it's amazing that the father of our faith was asked to give away his one and only son when God knew that he was going to be forced with the same task to give away his one and only son as well. And Abraham, being faithful and having faith in God, was willing to take it all the way to the end because he knew God's promise was true. But knowing God's plan for his life, Abraham got up, got involved, got his kid, got the wood, got all the stuff that was required, went and built the altar, got ready to kill his son, and then God stopped him, and then there was a ram in the bushes, and it fulfilled the sacrifice. At no point in time did Abraham, did the Bible says, did Abraham sit in despair or wallow in his unhappiness the idea of going to kill his son, which I can only imagine would be one of the worst feelings on the planet. He did not flinch. He did not waver. He got up and did exactly what he was supposed to do. Paul, throughout his career, as he went around preaching the gospel, was beaten and tortured and shipwrecked over and over and over. Not one time did Paul say, God, why have you forsaken me? Was God shipwrecking Paul? Was God beating Paul? Was God imprisoning Paul? Oh, well, if you listen to today's standards, it would be. Well, God sunk that ship where he could, no, no. What the enemy intended for my harm, God turned around for my good. When we face situations that, and look, there are things that happen and you, you, you look back on it in hindsight, and you go, wow, that was amazing. That was God at work. Didn't look like it was God at work, but that was God at work. For instance, granddaddy, before he was to be deployed, had a couple of days off. 
And he was home, right, years and years and years ago and loved playing some softball. Was right up here in St. Stephen playing softball and broke his ankle. Well, when he broke his ankle, he was not allowed to go back to the ship with the rest of the Navy folks, right? Did God break his ankle? I don't think so. But what the enemy meant for his harm, God turned into his good. What happened? That ship went to sea in the war. It was bombed. Lots of folks lost their lives in that, serving their country. The three places Stump should have been on that ship, all three faced major trauma. He wasn't there. So what the enemy meant for his harm, God had a plan for him and meant for his good. Now, I believe wholeheartedly, 100%, that God's calling on stump lives would not have been changed or whether he was on that ship or not on that ship, he would have somehow miraculously survived because God's calling on his life was greater than anything he would have faced. Same thing with Paul. Back to the story of Macy Myers. That, that, that is one of my favorite stories ever. If y'all have ever been to a Bible school here, you know we are a little bit ridiculous. We get slightly overboard on some of our decorations, and some of it gets a little crazy. Well, one particular year, we had a pirate ship. We built the whole front of the building. was a big pirate ship. And in that pirate ship, one of the lessons that week was about Paul being in the shipwreck and Paul telling all the people, don't worry about it. Everybody is going to survive. I don't care if you can swim or not. God said you will not drown. And in the back building right over there on that concrete slab, we had the lightning clapping on the stereo and flashing lights. And then we were spritzing water up on the stage. And in the middle of that, Macy broke down because she could not swim. And she was pretty certain she was going to drown in the volleyball court in the back building. Even though God had, God, this lesson had been about God promising them that they would not drown. Not a single one. Not a single one would drown. That everybody would survive. Macy was convinced that she was going to drown. Now, in her defense, she was probably about this big. And it was probably very loud and very, very, very intimidating being in that situation, Right? But when God's plan says, this is what you're going to do, whether the ship sinks or don't, or you break your ankle or don't, or you're in a terrible accident or not, or you have a sickness that comes against you or not, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you have life and have it more abundantly. So when we face roadblocks, we should have this opinion. We should have the opinion that no matter what happens in my life, my God watches over me and my steps are ordered. You know the Bible says that? That the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. And that might lead me in some dark alleys and it might lead me in some low valleys or some high mountains or through the valley of the shadow of death. But regardless of what takes place around me, we have to understand that God's calling on our life is not changed. In fact, it says it's without repentance or without what is it? I can't remember the daggum word. Anyway, it doesn't change. It is never called back. It cannot be removed. God's calling you in your life is the same yesterday and today and forever. It does not move. God puts you where he wants you to be. <clears throat> Personal experience. <clears throat> in April of 2008, I was working for a large general contractor in Charleston. 
I had just finished a project on time, actually a few days early, under budget with a one-page punch list. Now, if you work in any kind of construction, that those three things don't normally go together. You could get one or two of them, but not all three, right? Less than a one-page punch list on a multi-million dollar project, on time and under budget. I was asked to bring all of my final paperwork to the office to give them all of my stuff, all of my final drawings. The as-builts is what they're called. You go in and redline everything exactly like it was. When I turned in the as-builts, they fired me and told me I was not doing a very good job. <laughs> Which was contrary to the evidence that I was presented with. It was devastating. I can't even explain it. The, the gut-wrenching feeling, that the rejection of that day. Because not only were I working with a group of my peers, I, they were people who I thought were my friends, too. <clears throat> but it did me a favor. In the beginning of 2008 was the beginning of the recession of 2008, and the truth was is they really didn't have anything else for me to do. There was not another job in front of them. They didn't have any work, and they needed to lay me off. I understand that a whole lot better. And if they'd have told me that, I probably would have accepted it, come home, been fairly okay, and called back every couple weeks to see if they had anything coming up. But in fact, what they did to me was told me that I was not cut out to be in the construction world, and I would never make it in this industry. To me, there is nothing better, there is nothing better in my world than insulting me and insulting my ability and my intelligence. I mean, you can't spit in my face and make me any less unhappy. So what did I do? 2008, it was April the 8th, 2008. The 15th and the 16th of April, I took the class to become a general contractor. On Crystal's birthday, the 21st, I took and passed a nine-hour exam to become a commercial general contractor. If they would have told me the truth and said, hey, we don't have anything for you to do, I'd have come home, I'd have been lazy, I would have not been motivated, I would have not looked for anything else, I would have lived off of Crystal's salary and waited. But what the enemy meant for my harm, God made it for my good. Because it's, oh, it's 2023, that construction company's still running, and we do it okay sometimes. But most of the time. Here again, we don't finish a lot that's on time, under budget, and a one-page punch list. That was still kind of a unicorn. But at the time, I took that as, and, and, and it, this is just me, right? That I had been rejected, and, I, and it was personal. I took it like God had turned his back on me <clears throat> and cost me this opportunity, right? I mean, they, made, they make lots of money. They, they are very successful. They are very influential. Th that group is, is still very successful. And I, I coveted being in that group. And at the time, I had put that group almost in front of everything. I had done to where I was committed to whatever they wanted to do, whenever they wanted to do it, however they wanted to do it. It was not my family. It was not church. I mean, at the time, I was working six, seven days a week. I was not coming to church, right? Because I was so committed to them. And when that changed, right, I thought this was this horrible event. But what, in fact, it did was it lined me up closer to God it gave me the opportunity to, in 2010, build the building that we're sitting in. It gave me the opportunity to focus more on my very small children and my wife and my church family. 
and at some point in time changed my path or illuminated my path to where I'm standing today. Because if I was still working for them, there's no way that I could commit to doing what I am today. What the enemy meant for my harm really just lined me up for God's plan. It lined me up. Now, I'm going to tell you, and minus Mimi Rhoda, right, and maybe Grandmama, if any of y'all would have thought in 2008 that at some point in time I'd be standing where I'm standing, I'm going to go ahead and say, y'all's lying. Because y'all didn't believe that. I didn't believe that. I would say as late as 2016, maybe 18, possibly 20, some of y'all in 22 probably still didn't believe that I should be standing where I'm standing. And it's amazing how God takes the, what is it? He, he takes the simple, the, the baffle, the wise, right? There's no way that I should be where I am. But praise God, I am where I am and I'm doing what God sent me to do. And my calling on my life has not changed. And I do it to the best of my ability. But if you'd rewind me to 2008, right? There was a six-month span that I mourned cried, pouted, was mad, was agitated, was, and I never blamed it on God, but I sure didn't think he was helping me a whole bunch. Felt left out. Felt rejected, really, really. But everything that happened to me through that time benefited me. It didn't feel like it benefited me. It didn't look like it was benefiting me, but it did. It started to develop the character and the person that I am and created for this opportunity to put God first. Family, you kidding? Holy cow. God first, family second, and job third. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, if you are chasing a job so hard that job is anywhere in front of family or God, you are missing the point. You are not living in God's calling. God does not care how many widgets you build in the 24-hour period. He don't care how many houses you build, you sell, you clean, you tear down, you cut the grass around, whether you work in a manufacturer, whether you're a welder, whether you're a plumber, whether you're an electrician. I don't care what you do. You fly airplanes, you drive cabs, it doesn't matter. If somehow in your mindset... If God's plan for your life is second or third or fourth, you are sadly mistaken in what's taking place. And in 2008, I can Oklahoma guarantee you that job was 100% first and it wasn't close. And my children and my wife was probably a distant third after hunting. And then church was way down on the list. And so what I had put on this platform to be so very, very important was removed quickly. And it put me in a situation where I could understand that God's plan for my life doesn't always look like I think it should. Now, did God fire me? No. Did God create all of those horrible feelings inside of me, the, the rejection and all of that? No. But what the enemy meant for my harm, he turned into my good. And when we get to the bottom of the story, well, it's 2023. I've been pastoring for, this is starting my fifth year, doing the best I know how. The best I know, I think I have repeated one joke one time. 
But y'all didn't remember and you laughed both times. But I caught it. on. A, I actually listened to an old sermon and said, Oh no, I had told that stroke before. That's actually the hardest thing I have to do is come up with a new, clean, funny joke every week. That's the most, because God pours the sermon into me because I can tell you, <clears throat> I am not, it is not me, it is God. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> when you're faced with decisions that you make, when you start making decisions based on job or anything else before God is first, you are stepping out of his plan. Now, like Joseph, I mean, God had a plan for Joseph's life. It, it ended up in a, in a hole in the ground, beaten up. It ended up sold into servitude. It ended up in prison, right? Things happen around him, but it ended up happening. Now, I'm not saying if you miss an opportunity, your calling on your life is gone forever. It is not. God has a plan A, a B, a C, a D. We're going to get to where you're supposed to be. But here again, you cannot say I'm waiting on God's plan in my life and be sitting on the couch. You can't develop as a Christian if you are not willing to put in effort. Now, I'm not saying you can't have salvation. Salvation is a gift from God that no man can do any. It's not works where any man could boast, right? That's what the Bible says. But if you want to walk according to your calling, if you want to be in God's plan for your life, you have to get up and show up and work hard and do what you're supposed to do. And I can't do it for you. And your spouse can't do it for you. And your kids can't do it for you. And I believe that there are folks that when they die, they're still on step two instead of step 200. Because they were sitting on the couch saying, well, God, if you just show me what I'm supposed to do. Well, it will start with putting the left foot in front of the right foot or the right foot in front of the left foot. Whichever way you start to walk, I don't care. God has a calling on your life. He has a plan for you. He knew how many hair on your head. He has set forth a path in front of you. And you cannot step down it sitting on the couch. Part two next week. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you and praise you for this day. Father, we pray that this word will go out and it will not return void, but it will accomplish what it was sent to do. And we give you the praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.